This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. If you haven't guessed, uh, we'll be talking this morning about wives. Um, so where does this fit in the context of 1 Peter as a whole? Um, as we remember, 1 Peter is uh, about, it, 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 Peter is writing to a suffering church, a church under persecution, and he is reminding us that we are to live as strangers and aliens, that we are citizens of another kingdom whose king is one day coming, but right now we live in this time between the times. And as we are living in this world, we can rejoice, we can praise God because we've been born again. Amen? We can rejoice and praise God because He's uh, caused us to be born again and He's uh, given us a living hope, uh, a future that we can look forward to when He comes again. Amen? And we can, we can uh, praise God because he is, um, he is holding us by his hands, his hand. You know, he, he will not let us go. When we feel like, oh, this world is getting so bad, I just can't hold on any longer. He holds on to us. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Um, and that is what God has done for us in Jesus. He has caused us to be born again. He has a future hope for us. He holds on to us. And He's called us to a certain way of living. Right? He's called us to holiness. He's called us to love one another. He's called us uh, to fear God. And He's called us to suffer. Amen? (laughs) He's called us to suffer. And He's called us to submit to authority. Amen. Okay. He's called us to submit to authority. You know, so uh, right now, the passages that we've been covering are what often are called household codes. Um, he he, he, he uh, has told us how we are in this, in this present evil age, how we are to uh, live in relation to government and to governing authorities. He's told us we're to submit to every governing authority because authority comes from God. Um, we are also, uh, to, he, he tells us we're, um, to, that slaves are to submit to masters in that day. Not even just the good ones, but also the bad. Because in so doing, they're following the example of Jesus. They're, the, Jesus, uh, it says that they're walking in Jesus' steps who didn't open his mouth as he went to the cross. And he was persecuted. He was crucified. Today, we're looking at wives and husbands. In this present evil age, in this era that's filled with sin and brokenness, we look back at Genesis chapter 3. What's one of the consequences of the fall? There would be a distortion in the relationship between man and woman. Husbands and wives. We live in this present evil age. So how are we to live as Christians? How are husbands and wives to relate to one another? Here we see this in our text this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's read it. 
Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, help us to love what your word says. Even whenever it goes against the grain of our culture, even whenever it's difficult, Lord, we pray that you would help us to embrace what your word says, to see it as beautiful. Father, we pray that you would help us now, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to obey. Father, give me strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. What Peter has to say, as I mentioned in my prayer, goes against our culture. Right? First of all, the whole concept of submission, regardless of whether it's family relationships or any other, goes against our culture. Uh, who are, is anyone to be able to tell me what I'm supposed to do, right? So we've already been seeing this. So whenever it says, you know, we're to submit to every governing authority, we already kind of buck at that, don't we? Um, and the same here. Wives, be, submit, or be, be subject to your own husbands. We, we read this and we think, oh, can I say that? <laughs> How is that going to be heard? Let's break this down. The first, um, first word here is likewise. Peter isn't just jumping in out of nowhere and talking about husbands and wives, uh, but he is, is following the same pattern. Uh, he talked about submitting to the government. He talked about Slaves submitting to masters. And now, likewise, in this same progression, he's talking about wives. Okay? Also notice, he gives six verses about what wives are supposed to do. And then one little bitty verse about what husbands are supposed to do. So, does this seem fair? In... The other passages, what we see, it, it is following the same pattern. Uh, Peter here is not addressing the government saying, this is how you're supposed to treat everyone, right? He's just, he's talking to those who are the vulnerable. 
He's talking to those who, um, who are powerless in a situation and telling us how we are to live in relation to the government. Slaves and masters, the same way. Who he, he's not talking, he, he doesn't address masters, does he? But instead, well, I'm just double checking because I know in, in uh, Ephesians he does address masters. I don't believe he does here. In Peter's argument, he, he doesn't address masters he, unless somebody, if somebody sees that he does, be a Berean and point it out to me, okay? But uh, he's, he's, uh, he's not addressing masters, he's addressing the slaves. He's addressing the one in the vulnerable position, right? And in the same way here, uh, as we look at this, he's not addressing primarily husbands, although he speaks something else about husbands that he doesn't say about the others too. But primarily he's addressing the one who's in the vulnerable position, the one who might be in danger of abuse. So he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now I'm going to say something to husbands about this passage. It does not say, husbands, make your wife submit. It doesn't. It doesn't. This is a command to Christian wives. And husbands, we are not to use that as a club to say, now remember, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. That's not the way we treat God's word. This is God's word to wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Also, remember, it's to your own husbands. This is not a command, women submit to men, right? But this is to your own husbands. There, this, is, this, is not, uh, this is not applicable to a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. This is not you know, applicable to uh, uh, a, uh, two fiancés together. This is only applicable to husbands and wives. You enter into the marital Relationship, the covenant of marriage, and this is what we promise. You can look at uh, many of the traditional wedding vows, and what, is it, what does it say that wives say, that promise to do? To love, honor, and obey. Whereas to the husbands, it says love, honor, and cherish. That word obey, I don't believe, usually shows up in the husband's vows. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by their conduct. Now, Peter here is heading off an objection right at the pass. He says, wives, be subject to your own husband. And some, if he hadn't continued on with, that, with, that, with, what, with what he says after it, might have gotten the idea, okay, well, he was talking to Christians, so if my husband's not a Christian, then maybe this doesn't apply. Peter sees that objection and he answers it. He says, even if some don't obey the word, even if they're not believers, even if they don't trust in Christ, even if they're not Christians, then be submissive. Why? Well, it says here, I believe it's for the purpose of evangelism. It's for the purpose of evangelism. Uh, now, let me back up here a little bit. We've got a situation here where we also see in Corinthians, 
In Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he tells them we're not to be unequally yoked, right? That, that a, a believer should not marry an unbeliever. So we're assuming here this is a situation where the two are already married. And, and let's, let's just say whether or not it's before, they married before or after one of them was a believer. The situation is they're, they're, they're already married. This is saying to a wife, don't just go and seek a divorce because you're unequally yoked, but stay together for the purpose of evangelism. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. There's, he's saying, you know, you don't have to badger uh, wives, if, 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 a, if a wife is married to someone who's not a believer, they don't have to badger him with the gospel all the time. Right? It says, they may be one without a word. I think I was also assuming the wife is going to, to, to tell the, the husband the gospel, but whenever the husband rejects it, she doesn't have to continue every day, every week, going back and back and back and just continue... But her behavior, her submissive behavior, the difference that Jesus has made in her life will be winsome and that, 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 that good behavior in Christ will then be attractive to that husband and win them to Jesus ultimately. It says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, we can understand pure conduct. Uh, seeing seeing a, a wife who's faithful, who's, who's, uh, who, who um, um, has just a pure, morally res- way of living, but respectful, okay? And, and, and here, translations sometimes cloud our meaning sometimes. Instead of, instead of making something clear, it actually clouds it. Um, the word there for respectful in the Greek is the word really for fear. And, how, and so how oftentimes we see that. Now we've seen already through 1 Peter um, that whenever, whenever fear is talked about, we're supposed to fear God and not man. So whenever it says here in the English translation that they see a respectful and pure conduct, it, it may give the impression that this is respect towards the husband. But I don't think so. In the context of 1 Peter, what we've seen all along is not that we should fear any other person. We should fear God. So whenever it says that, they, that when they see your respectful and pure conduct, I think that's really talking about the fear of God. That a wife is not doing this because she fears her husband. She's doing this because she fears God. She's living a pure life before God. And she fears God. And I think there's, there's support for this because at the end in verse, well, not, not in the end, but in verse six, it says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Here he's saying, don't be afraid, but he uses the word fear earlier. So uh, Christian wives who may be married to an unbeliever, should fear God 
and be submissive even to an unbelieving husband so that they might win their husbands to Christ. Now, here comes the big 400-pound elephant in the room. What about abuse? What about, a, what about a husband who beats his wife? We don't want to think about that. I think what this is addressing is under what we might call normal circumstances. Uh, a, a woman who's abused, I think, should do the, 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 the first thing she needs to do is get out of that home and get to safety. Get out of that home and get to safety. Get, uh, take the children with her, if there are any children, and find a place that she can go and, and be safe. Go through any legal means to get protection. And if necessary, uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the Bible gives two, two ex, uh, um, um, exceptions when it comes to divorce, adultery, and abandonment. And I'm one who would hold that abuse is actually a case of abandonment. It's a form of abandonment. And so um, don't get the idea that as I'm saying all this about a wife should stay with her husband, even if he's an unbeliever, that this is saying you should stay in a case of abuse where you're taking physical beating and, and maybe even who knows what a person might face. The first step is get to safety. And, and then, uh, you know, I can't speak to every single situation. And there, there, there's a lot of wisdom that needs to be brought about. Speak to the pastor or leaders of your church. And, and help, have them help you walk through and find out what is the, 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 the best way of, of, of following Jesus through such a situation. Um. I feel like that's needed to be addressed here because if we just preach what's here in the text, we're liable to give the wrong impression. Under normal circumstances, under cases where there's not some kind of a, a, a physical abuse going on in the home, a Christian woman should stay with her husband and uh, by her godly behavior, Try to win her husband to Jesus. So then he, he says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now some throughout church history have taken this very literally, right? Say, a woman, a Christian woman shouldn't even braid her hair. A Christian woman shouldn't wear any gold jewelry, not even a wedding band, right? Um, uh, but I don't think that's what this is saying. I think this is a contrast. Christian women, don't focus on the externals. Don't focus on trying to be someone who can be on the cover of the greatest fashion magazines. Don't focus on what's ex external, Don't focus, but focus on the inner beauty of the heart, like what we read of in Proverbs 31. First Peter tells us, but let your adorning, that is, let what makes you beautiful be 
the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. There was the contrast between perishable and imperishable when it comes to our hope that's laid forward in the future. It's not like this piece of fruit that's going to go to waste, but it's imperishable. And silver and gold, jewelry, braiding of the hair, all those things, they're going to pass away. Nobody's going to remember that in 20 years. But what's going to be remembered? Character. The heart. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable beauty. That's the greater beauty. The imperishable beauty of what's in the heart. Of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's in God's sight. Who cares what Vogue or Cosmopolitan magazine thinks? It's in God's sight that that's beautiful. And it's very precious. He says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So here I think it's referencing, there's at least one story, I can't remember which one, uh, about Sarah and Abraham Oh, I think it's whenever she's told that she was going to have Isaac and she laughed and she said, Shall, uh, you know, um, I can't remember, but it, I can't remember the exact words, but that's the context in which she, she calls Abraham her Lord. And she's not, she's not saying that he's her master, you know, but she's using a respectful term for her husband. In that same way, Wives, be like Sarah. Be like Sarah, okay? Um, You are her children. You're a daughter of Abraham, if you act like Sarah did. You are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what might happen to you Under normal circumstances, fear God, but don't be afraid of anything that is frightening. Finally, verse 7. Here we're getting to husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Christian husbands, live with our wives in an understanding way. Um, According to knowledge. The knowledge of God, we, we, we need to know that God is watching us and the way we treat, with our, we treat our wives. We need to understand, understand our wives, know our wives. Um, know that we don't want to, to, to lead them in ways that they're not willing to go. <laughs> but to be gentle. Um, showing honor. Okay? Not to not never putting down our wives, never never mistreating them, but showing them honor, honoring them. Res- not, I mean, he uses the term respect for husbands, but he uses the term honor for wives um, as a as the weaker vessel. Now here, 
Again, this is something that our culture just totally goes against. Our culture says, you know, I can do anything, you can do better. No, you can't. Yes, you Well, okay. Um, the weaker vessel. I, I don't think in any way this is saying that women are weaker intellectually, emotionally. In fact, emotionally, women are usually stronger than men. I think the only way we can see this is just in physical brute strength. We are not to be bullies pushing our wives around physically, but instead we treat them with honor and like we would treat a precious, valuable vase that we don't want to break. In that sense. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Oh. Here, uh, there's something that's being brought out about the equality. Right? They're heirs with you of the grace of life. I I believe in what's called complementarianism. The Bible teaches that women and men are equal in dignity, equal in value before God, equally in God's image, yet God has given different roles for us to play within the family and within the church and maybe even within society. That part's debated. This here points to the equality aspect of it. We're created in God's image. We're equal in value before God. He equally gave His blood for us, both man and woman. And we're equally heirs. Going back to chapter 1. He has a future hope for us. A living hope that will never perish, never pass away. And that's equal for both men and women. You know, oftentimes, the Bible says that believers are sons of God. Okay? And some of our modern translations will will come out and say, well, sons and daughters of God, or something like that, to try to make it more clear. But actually, that distorts the meaning. (laughs) All of us, both men and women, are sons of God. Well, what do you mean by that? Who gets an inheritance? In the ancient world, in the biblical times, the sons. We are equally heirs. We equally share in the inheritance. Equal shares in the grace of life. Husbands, another reason why we are to to treat our wives with honor and, and care it's because we don't want our prayers to be hindered. If, if we mistreat our wives, that can have an effect. We, we can't just live out our lives thinking that we're following God's commands, but we don't really treat our wife correctly and then think that God's going to answer our prayers. If we don't care for our wives, care for our families, there's a big issue in our spiritual life that's going unaddressed. So that's this text. I think we've, we've addressed most of the issues that, uh, that, that come up here. Uh, no, actually, you know, it, it could be exhaustive. We could address a lot more. But basically, a general overview of what, what's, what's addressed here in this text I'm going to go back to how this relates to 
how we are to live in this present evil age. We have a future and a hope, and we need to praise God for that. He's caused us to be born again, both men and women. We need to praise Him for that. He has given us a future and a hope that we look forward to that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. We need to praise God for that, both men and women. We live in a, in a world that's full of sin, that is broken. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. How we live? We live like Jesus. Just like the slave was to submit to a master, even the bad ones was, because he was following the example of Jesus. Wives, submit to your own husbands, even the bad ones, because you're following in the example of Jesus. Jesus who gave his life for us. None of the things that we've talked about in the commands are how we actually are born again. We're not saved by submitting to our own husbands. We're not saved by submitting to the government. We're saved because we've trusted that when Jesus went to the cross, he did it for us. And that paid for our sins. We're saved because we're trusting in the payment that he made on the cross. So, like I always say, look to Jesus. Look to him. He's the only one who can give a person strength to be able to do what, we command, what's, what we're commanded to do. We can't do it on our own. We, have, we don't have the strength. Only through looking to him can we find the strength to do those hard things, men and women. Thank you.